Welcome to the Aging Gracefully podcast. I'm Mary Thompson. And I'm Janae Anderson. Join us as we explore the myths, beliefs, and realities of aging to empower each of us to thrive on all levels, every moment of our lives. Mary, when I first met you, it was because I was working at an Ayurvedic college, Mm -hmm. and you are a teacher and consultant for Ayurveda. That's right. That was a long time ago. It was a very long time ago. It was pre-kids. I know. (laughs) What's their life? BK. (laughs) Before kids. So I would love to talk about Ayurveda and how it addresses getting older. Mm-hmm. But before we dive into that, can you just talk a little bit about what Ayurveda is and what you do? Certainly. Ayurveda is from India. It's a holistic health science, which means it really looks at not just treating the body or understanding the body, but also seeing how the mind, how the state of our mind and emotions might affect our health. So how the mind affects the body. And then it even recognizes beyond that that we are spiritual beings, that we have a purpose, that we have a soul, that we have a reason for being. And this informs our state of health. If we're in connection with who we are on that spiritual level, then we tend to behave differently. Maybe we treat ourselves better. Maybe we think we're here for a reason, so I wanna keep my body really healthy. Or I'm here for a reason, so maybe this anger that I'm feeling right now has some purpose in my life and I could dive deeper to understand it. So when I look at it, so I kind of went down the path with Ayurveda there, but I think Ayurveda is a system of medicine, but it's a system of medicine that respects that we're physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual beings. So what does that mean? I think think that really means that we consider the health of all of these to be important and to give attention to them. And the second part of your question was about with life and longevity. I recently found a Sanskrit definition for the term ayas, which is the beginning of Ayurveda. Because I've always said life, you know, life, the totality of life, all, you know, life, the universe and everything. And then they, this person was saying it was about the science of longevity. And I hadn't heard it kind of put into that tiny little box before about longevity, being able to live a long time. So I did some digging and I went to my Sanskrit dictionary And lo and behold, that was one of the definitions of the word was the science of longevity. And Veda is just like science or wisdom. So it's the wisdom of longevity. So it is probably the only medicine I know of that's focus is on keeping you alive and healthy for a long time. Physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Right. I love that. Isn't that awesome? You think about geriatrics, right? And you just think about managing the ills and the evils of getting older right the pain and everything going wrong and Mm -hmm. wow yeah there was i just had a conversation with some students the other day about symptoms because i think so much of our medicine is based on symptoms you know you have that pain in your arm here take a pain pill there it's fixed but it's not fixed because you got to take the pain pill again and again and again so ayurveda really looks at symptoms as warning signs so imagine you're sleeping you're deeply deeply asleep and the smoke alarm in your house starts going off. So you get out of bed and you think, oh, that smoke alarm is so loud and it's so annoying and it's disturbing my sleep. 
So you go to where the smoke alarm is and you unplug it. You take out the battery or maybe you smash it with a hammer and say, thank God that noise stopped. And then you go back to bed. Now we can all see what the problem is, right? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, somewhere there's a fire, fire. <laughs> billowing smoke. But I turned off the, the one thing that was helping me, <laughs> that was alerting me to the fact there was a, that there was a fire nearby. So we really look at symptoms more as those alarms, not something necessarily to be turned off, but we really want to go to the root of it and take care of the cause. Whether that's maybe I'm eating something or I'm drinking something or I'm doing some activity that's creating a disturbance in my body. And I imagine that beyond just looking for physical symptoms, you also look at emotional and, and all the other aspects. Right, because some, you know, there's a lot of things when I'm having an emotional time, there's might have a physical reason. Maybe there's something going on. I have, uh, once, in, once in a while I get cold sores on my, the corner of my lip. And what I began to notice was within 24 hours before the cold sore broke out, I would have almost explosive anger. I'm not a really angry person, but I would have these episodes where, oh, I just couldn't contain it and I'm so angry and I'm doing the flailing my arms and stamping my feet and maybe cussing, you know. And at the time, it all seems perfectly justified. You know, whatever's going on has made me angry and I'm, I'm feeling really righteous in my anger. And then within 24 hours, I get this cold sore and I began to wonder, is the anger one of my symptoms that I get before the cold sore breaks out? Is the cold sore already on its way? And Ayurveda looks at these as really being driven a lot by stress. You know, so is it that I'm under stress and so it's beginning to move the virus to the surface and now the, the anger is my signal? You know, some people say you notice the onset of a cold sore, a little tingling sensation. And I began to think maybe I notice the onset of a cold sore with this explosive anger. How interesting. Yeah, so it's like, so, and then somebody else said, or does the cold sore come up because I've had this huge flare-up of anger? And I don't know. Right. I don't know which is which is the thing, but I can look at it and say, ah, oh, here's a pattern. Right. And I can begin to understand myself a little bit better and maybe look at, okay, when does, when does this occur? It occurs at times when I'm under a lot of stress, when I haven't been sleeping really well, maybe... Uh, the other thing I notice is a craving for sugar that goes on before that time. So maybe I haven't been eating really well. So there's a number of factors that if I can become aware of myself, just kind of observing, oh, look at what well, I'm doing this thing again. And I, I don't think that's easy for everybody. I think that's kind of a learned skill to be able to watch ourselves like that. I imagine it is. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So how, what would you say Ayurveda overall like very general advice perhaps would give to people who are in their 60s early 60s -hmm. late 50s that sort of thing yeah it's funny i remember reading a quote one time they said after 50 it's all just patch 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 (laughs) i feel that way (laughs) and i think i think that's where we start because we do want to feel better we do want to get some pacification to the symptoms but and this is where it gets simple but not easy is once I get the pacification to the symptoms, I want to ask myself the question, what might be driving this? And can I change that thing? So for example, if I have a pain in my arm and I take the pain relief medicine, then I still want to look and say, okay, what's creating inflammation in my body? You know, is it something in my diet? Is it something that I'm doing? Some repetitive stress that I'm creating? 
or is it something that's been building up over time? And so that lets me know I'm going to need time to unravel it. I'm going to need time to really nourish and nurture that. So what would Ayurveda say to someone in their, their 50s, 60s and beyond? It's, you know, pay attention to the symptom, give relief to the symptom. We don't want to be in pain or discomfort. And think about, is the diet one that's going to be anti-inflammatory? So let me start there. Like an anti-inflammatory diet is going to be really rich in vegetables. Not saying everybody has to be a vegetarian, but having a plant-based diet doesn't mean the exclusion of meat. It means that the meat is not taking the center role in the meal. So plant-based is going to be that most of the foods may be plants, and a vegetarian diet is great for anti-inflammatory things. So lots of great evidence that uh, vegetarian diets are wonderful for heart disease. Uh, they're wonderful for any time there's inflammation in the body. But again, it makes a difference about the quality of the foods you're getting. You know, are you getting really whole, fresh, organic, local if possible? Are you cooking for yourself? Now, these are goals. Some people might have just heard me say that and gone, oof, it's too, too hard. Sometimes when I'm talking to people, I'll ask them if they've ever considered one of those boxes that gets delivered that has, you know, the meal prep already done. And just choose the highest quality one that you can afford. Those are fun. Yeah. So I've had, and I've been really surprised. I haven't, I haven't ordered those myself, but I've had them at friends' houses, and the quality of the food, it was, you know, the spicing and everything. It was, I was very impressed, and it's a way to have a home cooked meal, where I haven't had to do all the chopping of the vegetables and the preparation of the food. So, I so it, you want to look at what can the person do. I'm also a big fan of like the instant pot or of slow cookers. I like for things to be easy. I'm a very simple cook. I like things to. Get in there, and I'll come back in a few hours and eat my meal. These days, you could go into a store and buy a bag of already chopped broccoli. Right. You know, and you got your baby carrots, and you got your pre-made salads. I mean, it's really mm. easy to be plant-based if you're a lazy cook. Right. It makes it so much simpler. <laughs> yeah. So looking at that, you can say, what am I doing in my body? Am I nourishing it? Am I giving it everything it needs? Or am I simply listening to my sense of taste and what it wants? Yeah, I think of this as because this was probably my problem for a long time is it would be lunchtime at work and I'd say, what do I feel like? As opposed to thinking about what have I got coming up this afternoon? What's going to really help me keep stable emotions? What's going to help me get me through to dinner time? That's a really interesting little shift there. Mm -hmm. like what would be good for me mm -hmm. given where I am and what's happening today versus what do I want? What do I want? You know, oh, it's Mexican food today. You know, yeah. and, I, and that pretty much could be my every day. But then I have to ask <laughs> myself, is, is that going to be the best thing for me today? Maybe it's going to make me feel too heavy and sleepy. So I need something lighter if I have a lot of things going on in the afternoon. So I think that's the first thing I work with. And let me back up a second and say, I think a lot of Ayurvedic practice, and even though it's, you know, referred to as a medicine, in the U.S., a lot of it's about health coaching. It's not so much about treating a specific symptom Ayurvedically. I used to always joke that, oh, I'm an Ayurvedic practitioner and here's my medical insurance card because, you know, we have the, we've got the benefit of all the medical knowledge, the new sciences that we've got, that there are certainly advances they've made that I don't want to disregard. Ayurveda, though, is more about coaching so that I don't need to use that card as often. You know, save that card for emergencies. Right. So a lot of it is preventative. Exactly. Okay. And so sometimes it's coaching people through changes and talking about looking at those dietary things. I heard it said one time, 
that it's easier to get someone to change their religion than it is to get them to change their dining habits. And I thought, well, they haven't met my family. <laughs> but I thought, you know, the idea that we learn how we eat and what we eat very young. And we tend, this is, I think, one thing I see a lot, is we tend to think that our food doesn't have a big impact on us. Because it's the same food we ate when we were 20, so why is it giving me a problem now when I'm 50? And why is it? Oh, our poor bodies. When we're in our 20s, it's like we are prime machines. We can work with all kinds of fuel. The body just gets what it needs. It gets the nutrients it needs. It's functioning. It's like a brand new car that's going to be firing on all cylinders, and it can use all this, this whatever kind of fuel you throw at it. It can work with it. Then as we get older, based on what we've done through these last 30 years, some of those fuels don't work as well. You know, we do a great job of converting sugar into energy when our, we're in our 20s. When we get to be older, converting that sugar into energy makes us feel kind of acidic mm. and kind of lethargic. And although it's, you know, it doesn't taste the same and it doesn't feed us in the same way. So I think it's just as we age, we become more like that vintage car that now it needs a specialized gas and a specialized oil. A right. Huh. And what I've really seen in people is the more that they pampered themselves when they were younger and took care of themselves, the more they retained that ability to be a little bit more resilient facing different kinds of input. Whereas when they didn't pamper themselves, when they were just all out, all nighters, living off coffee and sugar, they have a lot harder time when it comes to their 50s and 60s because they haven't taken good care of it. Mm. So I think of those vintage cars. I, I love my analogies, and so I get caught up in them. <laughs> but I think that vintage car, you know, you can always tell when one's been really well cared for. Had a single owner, they took care of it, they went out and wiped it down with a rag every Saturday. You know, and you can see it in the way it performs and the way it looks, as opposed to the one that somebody, you know, loved it to death. <laughs> they just drove it, but they drove it hard and they never took care of it. And uh, you look at it and say, oh, there's a fixer-upper. Yes. So a lot of us are fixer-uppers. <laughs> yeah, I suppose we are. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, the, the thing that is widely acknowledged as we enter into this age and stage is weight gain, that the right. metabolism goes down. Oh, my gosh. Of course, that's another vote for plant-based mm -hmm. and, um, and less sugar. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing to me what how toxic sugar is. And I'm saying that as a sugar eater, I'm not, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, she's so perfect and she never does anything. Um, because I've, I've quit sugar a couple of times for a number of reasons. And then it always finds its way back. Me too. You know, it's, I mean, it's my religion that I can't change <laughs> my sugar religion. I hate to think that. So metabolism shifts because uh, well, what is metabolism? First of all, metabolism is how the body uses the energy that we give it. So when we're young, a lot of our energy is being used to make new tissue, to rebuild and restore the tissues of our body. We have a lot of hormones flowing through the body that are telling it what to do and how to do it. And then as we get older, especially for women, we lose those hormonal messages. So we lose the estrogen drive to metabolize. So backing up again, like each month when the estrogen comes up at the first part of the menstrual cycle, the body's being told to metabolize in a certain way. Is to build. that why we want to eat? Exactly. Wanted. And why we, <laughs> <laughs> or why we might crave certain foods or we feel more energetic or things because the estrogen is driving all that. 
So then menopause hits, the estrogen falls out, you know, the, is pulled out from underneath Where us. Where did it go? <laughs> no one will ever know. <laughs> but the estrogen disappears and we suddenly, almost overnight, need less intake because we're not metabolizing as much. So every month, I always think that the, the estrogen is that little hopeful voice that says, maybe this month she'll get pregnant. And so it's preparing you. It's getting all the tissues ready for that nine-month massive shift you're going to go through in, in a metabolism. And then each month, oh, it didn't happen, and it drops back, and we go back. And so we kind of have these surges in metabolism that create that increased demand, and they create increased tissue. And then when we don't have that surge, we rely on how much energy we spend to regulate our metabolism. So say if you're a woman who's gone through menopause and you are a marathon runner, you may not notice a drop in your caloric intake because you've been doing a whole lot to insist that your body keep metabolizing to keep up with all this energy you're spending. But if you're a woman who spends a lot of time at the computer or at a desk or in a shop or you're doing things where you're not moving around a lot, you're going to notice a huge shift in your energy demand. And if you keep eating at the same level you were six months ago while you were still menstruating and still had all that estrogen, you're going to gain weight. Mm. I was so sad when I heard the number that the woman who's postmenopausal should take 500 less calories a day. That is very sad. That is sad. That's a whole meal. <laughs> and so if I, you know, if I look at that and I say, oh, I used to eat this way in my 20s and 30s, so I expect people to eat like that in my 50s, it's not going to happen. Or if it does happen... I'm going to gain more weight. And I think is the secondary challenge that we have is after menopause, we depend upon estrogen that's produced at the fat cells. So that's what helps stabilize our hormones after menopause is this little production of estrogen we get from the fat. So it's almost like fat is our friend. Mm. Not entirely because little fat cells would still do a good job, but that's where we are, you know, that's where we're getting it. Right. So it seems like some weight gain is actually desirable. Right. They're actually, this is, I found fascinating too, is the idea that people who are slightly overweight are better, can better tolerate shifts, viruses. Now, if that weight gain gets excessive, and I probably shouldn't, shouldn't even say slightly overweight, if they're still in a healthy BMI, but they were at the higher end of that BMI that they're going to have a better time because if they do come in contact with a virus, a bacteria, a cancer that causes them to lose weight, they're not going to drop dangerously low. Oh, interesting. They're and just still going to be in that range. As we get older than we are now, it, if we fall, then that extra padding mm -hmm. um, can be very helpful yes. in that way. <laughs> but I also want to talk hormonally because you mm -hmm. mentioned estrogen. Mm -hmm. um, what else is happening to us hormonally at this point? Like are, are all our... All the hormone production is basically going away. <laughs> We're no. left hormoneless. <laughs> no, we should have plenty of other hormones because they still continue. Much of it depends upon though. This gets into the next thing I was thinking about was like activities because I talked about food, but then we look at activities and basically the hormones are helping to regulate our ability to meet the demands that we have during the day. So think of uh, you probably heard about the adrenals. Mm -hmm. If I've been under a lot of stress. So if in my 20s, 30s, 40s, I was under a lot of stress, I'm traveling all the time, I've got a high power job, I've got all this intensity, maybe I have family issues, whatever, 
then I'm going to draw a lot of that adrenal energy. I'm going to pull all those adrenals and the adrenals get tired in the same way we would if we had to work nonstop. And so then what happens, we hit 50, the stress isn't so bad, but my adrenals are kind of worn out. They're going, ah, you take care of it. Mm. And so we don't have that good adrenal balance. Um, the thyroid hormones often tank a little bit in menopause. They should bounce back once we kind of adapt to it. But again, if I depended on that thyroid hormone to drive my metabolism, if I've overworked my thyroid, or if I've introduced some kind of, oh, if I've worn my body out, the biggest problem with the thyroid really is autoimmune disease. That They said about 95% of hypothyroidism is driven by an autoimmune disease. Mm. And what is that? That's just a sign that my diet, my lifestyle wore out my immune system. Is it possible to regulate again the thyroid, the adrenals, get everything back in working order? Ayurveda would say yes. Ayurveda would definitely say yes with a with a big capital Y. However, we can't do it and do life as usual, right? We can't expect to do the same things and get different results. So changes must be made. Right. And so that would require looking at the diet and seeing, oh, maybe I'm taking some of these vegetables that block thyroid hormone production. Uh, a lot of times if I counsel people, most of my work is working with practitioners or developing online education for Ayurvedic practitioners. And I was talking about autoimmune conditions and all my research kept coming back with first, you clean up the environment. Make sure you're not exposed to something that's weakening your immune system. So that requires looking in the garage and looking under the sink and seeing, you know, am I using things which might be actually harming my body? Maybe I'm not even using them. I've just got them sitting under there. Right. They're 20 years old and you go, boy, I wonder if this thing still works. But it's there and it's leaching possibly gases into your environment that might be creating a problem for you. Once the environment's clear, then stress and digestion. It's looking at your stress levels, creating routines for balancing your health, creating routines so you're getting good sleep. Um, looking at your energy, your emotion, emotional energy that's going on and see how you can balance that. And then looking at what foods you're eating, how you're eating, when you're eating. And so it's Ayurveda. Sometimes people say there's so many rules in Ayurveda. There's, oh, there's so many things you're supposed to do. But it really starts with one step, you know, just making one change where you're saying, oh, I'm going to drink more water or I'm going to eat more vegetables, you know, make those one change, one change, one change and do it gradually over time. Then, of course, Ayurveda has lots of cleansing. I've heard lots of controversy around cleansing. You know, people will say we have cleansing organs, the liver and the kidneys and the skin, and these are all cleansing organs, so we should never need to cleanse. And I believe that to be true if my diet is clean. So if I take, you know, a really clean plant-based diet, and by clean, I mean it's whole food, it's fresh food, it's free of preservatives, pesticides, kind of toxicity that I would get from making it indigestible. Um, if that's the case, then yeah, my liver probably is going to do a fine job of cleansing. The problem is, look in the shopping cart. You know, it's oftentimes I'll, I'll challenge the students who shop at the co-op and natural food stores, and I'll say, you know, Go to the regular grocery store. Go to the most expensive, not the most expensive, but the, mo the grocery store that has the highest population. Here in town, it's called Rayleigh's. Let's say, and look at the people, because that's the majority of people in your community are going to be shopping there. And what's in their carts? 
it's packaged food. It's got lots of preservatives. It's got lots of sugar. It's got lots of fats. A lot of it can't even be called food. Right. You know, and so, it, you know, I think when our diet consists of a lot of that, then we might need some support with cleansing. Got it. If the diet's really clean, then you've got, you know, you can give liver support and things. Let the liver do its work. So Ayurveda has these protocols for cleansing. So if I've taken care of the environment, I've addressed my stresses, I've addressed my digestion, my food choices, my food habits, and things like that, then I would apply cleansing things. And this can be herbal teas. Um, Ayurveda really is not a fan of what they call a healing crisis. The cleansing should never be uncomfortable. It would just be... Um, a time when you might add an herb in that's going to support the lymphatic system or going to support the liver. And then by after doing this, then we start employing practices that help to build our immune strength. And it's funny because you, you might be thinking, oh, here it comes. Here's the sales pitch. It's like, oh, spend time in nature. <laughs> you know, Make sure you get enough physical rest during the day and enough mental rest. Make sure that you're drinking plenty of water. Yeah, so it's just taking care of yourself and doing self care. Exactly, I just love that aspect of um, of mm -hmm. Ayurveda. And as we get older, I mean, there are many women like us who are in that sandwich position where right. we're looking after our kids who are growing or grown, and our parents who are elderly and aging, and and it's stressful, and our own bodies are changing and you mm -hmm. know, having to be dealt with and. I mean, there's not a lot you can do about those factors right. except to add in self-care. Right. I saw a sticker one time, and it always has stuck with me. It said, if you can't fill others with an empty cup. And so it's like that concept of self-care is filling my cup. It's taking care of me, making sure I do the things that are going to help me to feel full so that I can make sure I can support those people, whether it's my family, my kids, my parents, my friends. I can I can do that without depleting my reserves. You know? I remember when I first saw an Ayurvedic specialist, she gave me a homework assignment of half an hour every week uh, dedicated to something that, I, that nurtured me. And um, half an hour a week, I spent out in nature just being quiet, and it was so soothing to my soul, but now I have a lot more of that every day, and yeah. I just go, my gosh, what what was I doing that mm -hmm. I could only carve half an hour every week, and it felt so big. <laughs> <laughs> I found that when I dropped down to part-time work, and I, I would say to people, how do people work full-time? I worked full-time for years, for decades, and when I went to part-time, the time got filled up, Yeah, you know, but all those things that I wasn't able to do. And maybe that's the gift that we have as we get older. If we do have that luxury of not having to continue working into our 50s and 60s, that we can take some time and make sure to rebuild our own strength, our immunity. So a friend was traveling on an airplane and she happened to be seated next to a doctor. And so she decided she would ask him a bunch of questions. She had the most fascinating flight. And she asked him a question about uh, strengthening the immune system or what he thought about the immune system. And he said, well, first of all, I don't think it's a system. He says, if you do um, a dissection of a person, if you're looking at that, you would see, you see the circulatory system, you see the heart, you see the blood vessels, you see the urinary system, you see the kidneys, and you see the ureters and the bladder and everything. He goes, but you can't ask me, you can't point to one place and say, show me the immune system. Mm. 
He says, you are going to see it. It's not a system. He said, we don't have an immune system. We are an immune system. And I just, that always struck me because it's about care of the entire body is going to boost up the immune system. And mind and emotions and right. soul. Right, because if we don't take care of the mind and emotions, we can't take care of the physical body. Yeah. You know, if I'm really angry, do I sit down and enjoy my meal and digest it well? It's all connected. Right. Deeply. Mm-hmm. And if I'm eating foods that give me indigestion, I'm picking on anger today, but it could just as easily be fear. You know, if I'm eating something that triggers anxiety in me, something that's too light or too spicy or too something, I think light's probably my biggest one where I'm not eating. That's where I would get a problem before. And then it triggers the anxiety and you think, oh, I've got an anxiety problem. It's like, no, I have a, a digestion problem. I have a food problem. And the, I think the, the vicious cycle is when you have really strong emotions, um, anger or fear or sadness, then the digestion just kind of stops. The body says, let's take care of the mind first. And then it, it becomes this vicious cycle of, I'm not going to eat, and that's going to further disturb my my mind. So it's more kind of checking in with what would, what would soothe both my mind and body right now. Mm. I guess if I'm feeling angry, what would soothe it would kind of be going for a walk, maybe not eating until I'd calm down a bit. If I have anxiety, it might be eating a bowl of oatmeal. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So a bumper sticker that says, what would Ayurveda say could be very helpful. <laughs> WWAS, we're going to make a fortune. <laughs> huh. Wow, we could talk some more about this, but this is probably enough for today. That's yeah, we're, we've been talking for a while here. I'd yeah. love to talk about it again. It's really a fun concept. I think if I, and of course, it's what I love to talk about all the time. I think if I had to sum it up, I would say, you know, where we talked earlier, where after 50, it's patch, 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 is that be gentle with yourself. Go for symptomatic relief that you need and take a look at how you're taking care of this body, this aging body. You know, what kind of foods nourish and nurture you? Not which ones taste the best, because you may still say, I really want the lasagna. Or the ice cream. Or the ice cream. But ask, what does my body need? And then you can save those ones that you want for when the body's really feeling good about itself. And I would add, even though I'm not the specialist, um, to look to at what am I doing for my mind? What am I doing for my emotions? And what am I doing for my spirit? So I think that's a good idea is, is never discount any of the aspects of yourself, whether it's your mind, your body, your spirit. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mary. Most well, informative. Well, thank you. This was really fun. Of course, like I say, it was getting to talk about my favorite subject. So that's always fun for me. You're an amazing resource. <laughs> thank you. All right. Thanks. It's Janae Anderson. And Mary Thompson signing off. <laughs>